This is 11 o'clock. In 11 o'clock, I'll be talking to people I find inspiring, whose hobbies I find interesting, or whose lived experience can help us shape and improve our worldview. I believe everyone has a story that we can all learn something from, and hopefully by asking the right questions, I'll be able to find some amazing answers. Welcome to 11 o'clock. back to 11 o'clock and I'm here with the producer of Whoop-de-doo, another late night review, Maple Rose. How are you? Hey guys, I'm good. How are you? I'm very good uh, now that I have a long weekend. Oh, that sounds nice. Are you coming along and doing workshops and having a bit of a boogie? That is why I'm having a long weekend. I have tomorrow off to come. (laughs) So do you want to tell us what the review is? So whoop de doo another late night review, is a, it's a variety show. It, um, I guess primary burlesque, because I am a burlesque performer, but it is a one-hour show um, at the Butterfly Club for a midsummer festival. And we have an amazing array of drag, burlesque, and I would say, I would say variety. A number of these performers would, would branch out into different art forms as well. A lot of stripping in it because you know I love a good burlesque but it is a variety show uh, for Midsummer, which is a uh, an LGBTQI plus uh, kind of festival here in Melbourne and how long has the review been going so we just had our one year anniversary uh, it started November last year in 2018 um, it's now 2020 so technically we're in our second year but um, yeah we're it's it's been going going strong we started monthly that's hard to do in Melbourne um, and then we just decided to start putting it on for festivals and that's why we're doing midsummer you mentioned it's a variety show with burlesque but burlesque sort of overrides. It or when people think of the show, which one do they think of first? I would like people to think of variety because we really are trying to showcase diversity in Melbourne, especially because burlesque does have a lot of diversity and variety in it. It's mainly burlesque because I am a burlesque performer. Um, and so most of my awesome friends who I want to hire are all burlesque performers. And a lot of the people that I admire are also burlesque performers. So it does end up being quite burlesque heavy. But I do like to label it a variety show because within burlesque, we have so many different avenues on what it can be, especially now because drag has been incorporated a little bit more into burlesque scenes. So you can literally have anything on stage. As long as they're taking their clothes off, that would qualify as burlesque. So yeah, that's that's probably why it's a variety show. And how do you pick performers for each show? awesome people, really. I do have a very high caliber of performer. I do like to see something a little bit different. Um, There's very little classic burlesque in this show. It's kind of something that's a little bit edgier. Um, I like seeing performers who are out of the box, who do like to use burlesque, but again, putting in a different art form like drag um, or a bit of magic or a bit of comedy and cabaret comedy is another big one just that to make people laugh and to have a good time and and show that it's not just about sexy beautiful women stripping because burlesque isn't that burlesque is so much more and that's why whoop-de-doo exists one of my favorite photographers is deanne arbus mm-hmm. and one of her photos is of 
and it's titled Burlesque Comedian. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm assuming that she actually told jokes as a comedian, mm-hmm. but you don't see that much now in Burlesque, so have you kind of brought that back? A little bit. Um, and originally, whoop de doo would have a comedian every show, uh, and they were the ones headlining and, and being the, um, the MC for the show. There is a very specific art form to emceeing a burlesque show. So if someone doesn't understand burlesque, they can't really emcee a burlesque show, even if they are funny. And comedians nowadays, I think they have material and they, and they write a script for themselves. So if they're thrown into a situation where they have to be totally off the bat and improv, it's a, it, they're, some of them stumble and they can, they're not used to it. So uh, a burlesque MC has to be funny. They have to be a comedian. Um, and I think a lot of burlesque performers don't call themselves comedians, even though they are. And you can be a mime. You know, you can perform burlesque and still not talk and not be funny verbally, but you can still be funny in your actions and your in your movements. Um, and that can translate quite easily into being a MC. Um, I think that's that improv and being able to play off the, the audience and and kind of reading an audience as a a comedy artist just goes up and does their bit and hope for the best. You know, they go home and see how the reaction was after the fact, but they don't usually read it in the moment. When someone comes to you and says, I want to be in the show, how do they become part of the show? Good question. Um, it, it was open for, uh, for applications about a year ago. And I do like seeing, I love seeing new performers and new, and, and new acts come through. As I said before, it is, there is a specific caliber for the show. Um, and that's usually stuff that's very different. If you want, you can always email me. Uh, videos I get about maybe three or four videos per week from from performers new performers I like to headhunt headhunting for performers is is probably one of my favorite pastimes as well um so you there are opportunities to apply and it's just a matter of contacting me and seeing if it's going to be a good fit I also produce other shows so if it's not a good fit for this show there's possibility that it's going to fit for another show and there's always projects going there's always new stuff happening so don't get disheartened if I if I say no the first time, um, because there's we have a, an amazing scene here, and we do like to facilitate it and mentor new performers and getting newer opportunities because it is a dying art form in terms of getting and getting spaces. So we're gonna try and try and make it even for everybody. <laughs> And why did you want to be part of Midsummer? It was a festival. <laughs> it was a very, very simple answer. But whoop de doo is a queer-friendly space. Um, it is about diversity. It's about playing with just how many amazing people and artists we have here in Melbourne. And so that's why I wanted to go into Midsummer because it's pretty much the perfect festival for, for the show. And how diverse is the range of acts in this particular uh, this particular festival. Mm-hmm. 
This one is a little bit more drag heavy and a little bit more queer friendly, but every whoop de doo show is. So it's, it is different. It's going to be a little bit raunchier than usual. Um, I know a couple of our, our kind of key performers are actually pulling out something different for this festival because it is this festival. Um, so there might be, you know, a little bit of pleather, a couple of rhinestone dildos chucked in there. You just, you never know what's going to happen. So that's, that's the fun bit. Okay. So about you, mm-hmm. how did you get into, well, you can do, break it down into two things, producing shows or, and into burlesque. I'll start with burlesque because that's the, the easy one. I got into burlesque through theater. Um, I started off very early in, in the teens, I guess you'd say, um, in the independent theater scene in Sydney. Um, and so I was designing costumes and sets for independent theater shows. And my first ever solo project, we worked with a burlesque performer named Lauren LaRouge, and she and I became really, really good friends. Um, I went to a couple of her shows and saw what the girls did. And at the time, there were no schools. Um, we had no burlesque schools. We had no huge spaces um, that were pretty open to people performing. And so she just went, you've got a dance background. Just go and do it, and I'll help you. So I got gigs through her, and that's how I got into burlesque. So it was a very different way than how it is now. It's a lot more of an art form now. As Back then, it was just like, a, hey, you can do it. Just go up and have some fun. So that's how I got into burlesque. It just kind of went from there. So this is what you're nine or 10 for me, probably I'd say four years professionally. The rest of it was a hobby. How long did it take you to get used to the whole idea of stripping and being in a crowd and stripping? And That was natural. You know, if you have dance background and you've been in theater, you kind of, it's normal to be on stage. The first time I ever performed and stripped, I did do a couple acts where I didn't strip first. But the first time I stripped, I was nervous, of course, but it just felt normal. It's To me, it's not about stripping. It's an avenue to tell a story, I guess, is the way that I think I see it. Um, so it is a vehicle that we use as part of our art form. It's not actually the, the reason why I do it. Um, so that kind of, once I realized that, I think it just got easy from there. And, and when you're on stage, you're almost living in someone else's body. You know, you're watching yourself from a different perspective. And so you kind of forget that you have cellulite or that you're, you know, feeling a little bit bloated that day um, if you have any body issues because that's, it just, you forget about that and you just go out and you entertain. And why do you say it's a dying art form here in Melbourne, which is the most, I think, the most cultural city in Australia? I think it's a dying art form overall. I think in the world, the true form of burlesque, which is parody, um, and it is comedy, I think is slowly getting overrided by this glamorous idea that you have to be of a specific body type um, and that you have to have thousands of Shrevsky crystals on your costume. And I'm talking worldwide. I'm not just talking about Australia. Um, in Melbourne, we definitely have a special scene where we like to we have the opportunity to play with different genres um, and, and kind of mix and match. But worldwide, I, you know, I, I see this fad of everything being a perfect, you know, a perfect dancer with a perfect costume. And, and burlesque isn't about being perfect at all. 
um, the true meaning of burlesque is is parody and to and loving yourself and loving yourself no matter what body shape or how much money you have and all that stuff. So that's been, I think that's an interesting way to look at the scene now. Melbourne, we have an amazing scene. I, it's just hard to find spaces because it's hard to have entertainment as a living now. So, and how did you get into producing shows? I forgot that question. <laughs> uh, producing shows, it was just another kind of hat to put on. I was, uh, I was in Sweden for a year and came back to Melbourne and didn't know anyone in Melbourne because I'm originally a Sydney girl. Um, and so I partnered up with Betty Bombshell, actually, and we pre- co-produced the After Hours Cabaret Club together. Um, she taught me a lot and, you know... I totally admire her work. I ended up leaving the partnership just to go off and do a couple of my own artistic endeavors and then missed, missed doing it. So whoop de doo is kind of like a, a mini version. And well, it's just a mini show where we can, where I can put on, create a space for performers um, because we don't have as many spaces for that type of of diversity, you know, there's a lot of big shows where you can put on big burlesque shows or there's the super queer drag shows, but there's nothing really that's in the middle for a lot of performers to fit in. Um, so whoop dee doo was created to, to kind of break that, break it up a little bit. And how hard it is to produce a show? Very hard. It's harder than creating an act. I think a lot of people go into producing thinking they're going to make money and you, it's most of the time you lose money. Um, it, it takes up your total brain space for at least six weeks. You know, I'm on social media almost every minute of the day trying to watch ticket growth and watch post growth and see how, see what posts are working, making sure that every artist is, is, is announced and and you know people know what's coming up and having it's just a lot social media now i think has made it a lot harder for producers even though it isn't it's a tool yeah it it's a lot selling a show is hard um because you're not only selling yourself as an artist you're selling 12 other artists with you um so there's a lot riding on it and so but what keeps you doing it i love creating spaces for people to perform in i love fostering a beautiful community that's why I teach as well I love giving people an opportunity to do what they love I love seeing audience reactions there's so many positives that come out of it even though you know I lose money (laughs) hopefully not this time hopefully this time I've I've decided to put all of our profits towards wildlife Victoria because of the bushfires recently so uh, all digits crossed we do well we have done well in the past so this time we'll we'll see how we go and how hard is it to make a living as a creative person in this day and age you have to wear a lot of hats to make it work you can't just rely on one thing so you can't just be a performance artist it doesn't it's too hard there's not enough gigs going around um unless you're you know zelia rose um, who was voted number one last year and number, what, I think 11 this year in the world. Uh, it's hard to be just a performer, but she's not even just a performer. She choreographs, she mentors. We all have to put on different hats. So teaching, 
you know, working at a studio, teaching at a studio, mentoring, performing, producing, making costumes. There's so many different hats you have to wear to actually make it a viable business. Um, cause it's very hard these days. And you do nearly all of those things, don't you, yourself? I do all of those things. <laughs> Did your theatre help, your theatre background help with, like, is that where you learned to make costumes? Uh, I, I've been sewing since I was, like, four. So I actually went into theatre be- in theater design because I did architecture as my undergraduate. So set design was kind of the the most logical step for me after doing architecture. But as a set designer, to be able to sew and make costumes, you get hired more often because they only have to hire one person instead of two. So having being able to sew was super handy, um, and it meant that I could practice my sewing skills. And then I realized that's more fun, was making costumes than making sets. Sets, there's a lot riding on it. It has to be safe. <laughs> Can't fall down. As a costume, most of the time, especially in theater, you only have to wear it for a very short run. Burlesque costumes are very different where we toss them on the ground and we trample on them so that they have to be very sturdy. But every, I, I always say every girl, but it's everybody, I think, really wants to wear rhinestones and feathers and and all that. I know my, my husband likes to put on the feather headdress at home, so everybody loves to wear that stuff, so that's why I like making it. And you don't do anything in that theatre space anymore? Nope, haven't done anything in theatre for about seven years now. Do you miss it? Yeah, yeah, I guess. The theatre industry is very different to the burlesque industry. I think there are, there are a lot more, um, there is a lot more diversity in the theatre scene. Uh, I do, I don't miss that it's very pretentious. I don't miss that it's, you know, everyone loves Shakespeare. I don't miss that it's kind of boring, especially as a designer. The amount of shows that came to me asking for t-shirt and jeans and a black box. And I'm like, well, why have you hired me? That's what I don't miss. I think burlesque has a lot more creativity in terms of aesthetics. But I do sometimes miss the intellectualism that comes out of theater versus burlesque. Burlesque is just to entertain. It doesn't have to be intellectual. There are great intellectual acts, but I think the primary objective is to entertain. So can I ask about the process of when you're creating your act? Mm -hmm. Now, your character on stage, how much is that actually you or how much is that a heightened of you or is it totally different to you? I always say that your burlesque character has to be a heightened version of your sexual being. So not just you, but who you are as a sexual person. So how do you attract partners and that's how you're going to perform on stage. So I am naturally an incredibly socially awkward person. I use wit and kind of silly little bits of information to flirt. And then that's why Maple as a character is funny, but she's also still very classic. So, cause I'm, I, there's still that safety net of using classic burlesque, but it is a tongue in cheek kind of flirty performance that has comedy in it instead of it being a completely comedic act because that's who I am. I don't, it is difficult to do something so out of the box to who you are. Um, you can train and do that. 
it's hard. I've never found it. I think as a performance art, you're going to find something that you're comfortable performing, and that is entertaining. Um, it's good to push your boundaries, but you still need to make money off it, so you still need to be good at it. So that's why Maple is who she is. And what's your process for creating an act? Where do you start? Do you hear a piece of music that you love? Do you think, I want to do something about this? Or what's your process? Usually depends. I am a costume person, though. I, you know, I have a background in costume design, so I will always, pretty much always, design the costume first without having any knowledge of what kind of music I'm using or the choreography, and that's just who... I am and what I enjoy that's my favorite part of it so I'll always dive in with the costume first that of course changes once you put music and choreography to a piece you have to make sure the costume's going to fit so I design a costume I kind of start making it and then I go into the studio with music that I've chosen um, and then choreographed it with the costume in mind because you can't just check a costume on and then hope for the best sometimes it doesn't work that way so so it does depend but usually yeah I guess the costume. Hmm. And that can come from a bouquet of flowers. That can come from a piece that someone's given me in terms of a costume piece. That can come from, you know, a napkin that's happened before. (laughs) So you never know where inspiration's going to strike. I've seen you perform once, I think, as Maple. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, at Spotted Mallard at Mm -hmm. Velvet Grind. Mm -hmm. And at that time... I thought it was perfect and we didn't realise that actually everything was going wrong for you on stage. Like the rack that you had broke down, you stumbled on a spin, all of these things happened. I remember everything got stuck yet. No, I know. Things fell apart earlier than they were. But we didn't know. And I'm just wondering, did that get incorporated? Because it was hilarious. Um, And the only reason we figured out, because you went, everything's going wrong. Yeah. a few. So the the main issue with that act, that time performing is that the uh, reveal got stuck. So that's a costume malfunction completely. If it was perfect, it would have been an amazing act. I actually haven't performed that act since. Um, it's too hard to put on stages because it's a duet plus an extra person, and it has big props. And we just don't we don't have the spaces here in Melbourne, unfortunately. Like Butterfly Club is. A, one by two meter stage as even even the spotted mallard is only four by four it's not that big um so to put a put a group act and let alone with a huge ottoman and a rack on stage that makes it hard so but you know the rack falling apart that actually would work um for that act because it is about that act is about everything fucking up it's a yeah reverse strip with a strip same time it's pretty good it was great yeah well thank you You know, everyone talks about burlesque being acceptance of body and all of the different shapes and all of that. But we also have all of these burlesque competitions, Mm -hmm. which kind of then judges us when we're saying, let's not judge this community or let's all accept it. How do you feel about those competitions? Uh, I do think there's a place, that, especially the judging criteria I know for specific Australian competitions are very broad. So as long as you are a great entertainer 
and you're fitting within the either the historical background that they've asked or or doing something completely new it doesn't matter if you're not a great dancer it doesn't matter if you're a, you know you're not the perfect body shape um it, unfortunately costuming is a big one for that competition so you can't just go on with a hundred dollar costume that looks a hundred dollars if it doesn't look a hundred dollars then go for it but those competitions are really an avenue for you to put on your best work um, and the biggest work because we just don't get the opportunity to do that much. So Miss Burlesque Australia, which is the one I'm primarily talking about, is the opportunity for you to put on a big show with big props if you want to, um, with big costumes because it is a, it's just the opportunity. We don't get those. A lot of our gigs are in small spaces or in the audience. So it's nice to have that opportunity, really. So judging, judging, they should, they sh- it's not about judging you. It's about judging how you're entertaining the, pe- the masses and how good you are doing that job. Can we talk about your other... Phyllis character? <clears throat> yeah, that, the, the nine-footer, that one? Uh, yeah, and what's <laughs> they called? What, well, you tease Rex. She's a, she's a nine-foot da- blow-up dinosaur with sparkly nipple pasties and wields feather fans, yes. <laughs> and how did that one come around? That, that's actually a very interesting story. So one of my really dear friends is works at the museum. Um, she's a conservationist and works very closely with paleontologists. Um, and there was one day we got really junk joking about um, a costume competition I wanted to enter. And she totally just brought up that, of course, dinosaurs had feathers. And how cool would it be to have a burlesque act with feather fans as a dinosaur? And I laughed and thought it was the funniest thing. And so for her birthday, I ended up renting one of those blow-up dinosaur suits. So it wasn't even one I owned yet. I stuck on some nipple pasties and I came out of her her bedroom wearing a a blow-up dinosaur doing an act. So that was how Cheese Rex came about. I think it was called Burlex Rex at the time. And then I went to Adelaide Fringe to, to perform and the amount of people who asked me if I had brought my dinosaur... I was like, well, that's not an act yet. It doesn't exist. It's not a thing. And so after that, I ended up buying my own neon orange dinosaur and making making Tease Rex a real thing. So, yeah, she's fun. <laughs> Does she come out much? No. There's not many spaces that fit her. She's so big. She's nine feet. Like, Butterfly Club doesn't fit her. It's not only, like, I think a nine-foot ceiling at Butterfly Club. So she doesn't she would literally hit all the lights so she it's hard to get her on the stage she's very bookable you know if you have a a hen's party that goes down like a treat but you just need to make sure the space is actually physically big enough to fit her which is the thing yeah but i like performing her it's easy you just go in a dinosaur suit you don't have to put on any makeup no hair it's great <laughs> You mentioned a couple of people that are quite well known and doing very well. Um, so Zelia Rose and Betty Bombshell, who were actually beside each other I know. In, the, in that top list. Yeah. Um, 
honestly. It was amazing for Australia. I was a bit worried when I saw the top 50. I was like, I don't think many Australians got on the list, but they, they got there and they're in the teens and that's really admirable. So proud of them. Yeah. Is there anyone else that you think is amazing <laughs> that people should check out if they get a chance? Personal favorite? Yeah. Dirty Martini. I think she's probably the epitome of what burlesque is today um, in terms of everything that I've spoken about today, you know, body image and but also being super glamorous. She does put money into her costumes, but that's besides the point. She's incredibly, when she does classic, she does classic really well. She also knows how to push the boundaries. She also knows how to be political. She is the epitome of what burlesque is now. Same with Betty Grumble. Uh, she's probably one of my all-time favorite burlesque performers because she is so different and and does push the boundaries and has that shock value that was what burlesque was like what 200 years ago and then shock has kind of slowly been put aside for beauty um so those are probably two i would recommend to go and watch but you know betty grumble is australian she's she's an amazing performer sydney based dirty is in victoria i'm not victoria new york we're in victoria but uh yeah we have an amazing scene here too so go out and support your local community you know Poppy Cherry puts on amazing shows. She's a great MC. Uh, Juniper Fox is an amazing fan dancer. You know, Jazita is also an amazing fan dancer. She's from Canberra. Um, we have a bunch of amazing performers to play with. So Ruby Slippers, Archie Arsenic, they're all amazing. So go and check them out. And where can they check out your show? <laughs> Let's go to the plug. We're going for the plug now. So uh, whoop de do another late night review is on at the Butterfly Club for Midsummer Festival. We're running three weekends in a row. So that is January 24th, 25th, January 31st, and February 1st, and then February 7th and February 8th at 10 p.m. the Butterfly Club for Midsummer. They're amazing. Amazing performers, amazing Amazing venue, amazing MC. Like to say amazing producer, but we'll see after the fact. And there's different people on nights. It's not the same. Correct. So you could go two or three times. Even the people who are on multiple shows, they're bringing different acts every time they're performing. So it is a completely new show every every night. Um, So come along to multiple. You know, as I said before, our profits are going to Wildlife Victoria this time. Um, fingers and toes crossed that, you know, we do have profits because they totally need it. But even just to come and support your artists and your local artists and your local drag and burlesque scene and comedy and cabaret and all of those amazing fun performance art forms that kind of get forgotten. Well, thank you. I am. I have tickets. Yay! <laughs> I do have tickets for last night. But Yay! I may see if I can come wrangle some, yeah, wrangle some more one. people. <laughs> Well, thank you. Oh, thank you, Eleven. Thanks. And uh, we'll see you at the show. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Eleven O'Clock. Please rate and review us on iTunes, comment on our Facebook page, and share us to your social media. I look forward to bringing you more episodes very soon.